our third message of this series, Bad Boys of Easter. Missed the first two, you can either go to nlccp.com. If you click on multimedia and then you look at videos, um, you can find them there. Uh, Keith always has the last six sermons down at the bottom of the very front page of nlccp.com. You can get them there, or you can go to our Facebook page, uh, New Life Community Church, and you can click on videos, and then the last several videos are on there. Um, so we want you to do that. Well, today, since it's Easter and I saw this comic strip this week, I used to, to read BC comic strip. Anybody ever read BC back when there was print, uh, back when print was popular? Uh, there's not so much print anymore. I saw this this week on Facebook and I love this. And so this is how we're going to start off today. Uh, he's talking here and he says, I hate the term Good Friday. Why? My Lord was hanged on a tree that day. If you were going to be hanged on that day and he volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? Good. Hence the name, Good Friday. Because what he did was he volunteered to take your place, to pay the price for your sins, and that makes it a very, very Good Friday. What happened on Sunday is what made it a Good Friday. If he had died and stayed in the, in the grave, it would not be a Good Friday. But what made it good was his tomb is empty, right? Uh, so I want to talk to you today as we finish this series about things are not always as they appear to be. Anybody agree with that? Let me give you just some examples. All right, here's the first one. Which of these horizontal lines is longer than the other? Y'all have seen this before. Some of you have seen it. Neither, right? It looks like it just because it's an optical illusion. But they're actually the same length if you, if you measure them the same length. Okay, this next one, I want you to look at the shadow first and then look at what's causing the shadow. You ready? Who knew a rabbit could contort like that to make it look like a hand was a shadow? I don't know. I don't know if this is real or not. This may, this may be fake news. Next one, look at the left picture first. Look at this one. So the girl looks innocent. The guy looks not so innocent. Look at the right picture. He was bringing you lady flowers. She was bringing you an axe. Things are not always as they appear. Next one, look at the shadow. Be sure and look at the shadow first and then look at what's causing the shadow and then look at the guy's reaction. He's going to be very, very disappointed when he comes around the corner and sees that janitor there. Um, So the whole point is things are not always as they seem. My story was I grew up poor. I didn't know I was poor until I was older looking back. Anybody share that story? At the time, we didn't know. I just thought if you had beans and cornbread, that was normal. I didn't know. My brothers told me when I was older, we were out of money for food and we would have beans and cornbread and mom would always give us milk. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. We got to have milk for supper. Uh, I didn't know we were poor until I got older and looked back. We didn't lack for anything, but we did not have money. When you become a parent, does that change your perspective on children and especially teenagers? Yes, and I'm praising God that my grandson is teaching my son that life is very, very different than what he thought it was when he was a teenager. Bless the, this is one of the reasons I know there's a God is because I'm watching this and, and loving every minute of it. Now, let's say that your daughter comes home, her, her boyfriend breaks up with her and she's just devastated. And all you want to do is you want to kill the fatted calf because my daughter who was dead is now alive again, right? I mean, <laughs> it changes things. On Resurrection Sunday today, here's what I want to talk about. Things are not always as they, they appear. Your relationship with God, the relationship between God and your life is rarely as it appears to be. Now, this is a big deal because some people think like this. If life is good, 
then God is good. But the other side of that is, if life is not good, these same people think that God is not good. If you tend to think this way, it's a short step from for you to believe that God doesn't care about you or that God doesn't exist at all. This is what Satan does. If he can get you to equate life with God, it's a short step from God doesn't care or God isn't there. And see, disappointment with life becomes disappointment with God. And when you start to look around, you see that everybody else's life is going so well. And let me just say, everybody else's life is not going well right? What you see on Facebook, what you see on social media, that is not a true representation of their life. Everybody has stuff. You don't believe it? Come to our small group sometime. And it's just a couple of questions in. We realize everybody's got stuff. It's not what they're posting on Facebook. Nobody's going to post their stuff on Facebook. But when you think that everybody else's life is together and your life isn't, it's a very short step from God is not good or he's not there. He doesn't care. He's not there. And if you grew up believing that there was a good and personal God, but this good and personal God does not seem to be involved in your life, it is very easy for you to become disappointed with God, not just disappointed with your life. Now, in this series, we've been talking about the bad boys of Easter. Two weeks ago, we talked about Caiaphas. Last week, we talked about Judas. Today, we're going to talk about the thief. Which thief? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. We don't know his name We don't know how old he was. We don't know why he was in a Roman prison. All we know is that by this point in his life, his only value in life is to hang on a cross as a warning to others, do not cross Rome. Um, This last week, I was going from downtown to the YMCA because I was going to go work out. And um, I thought I was going in front of the sheriff's department. And I actually, because I was just thinking, wasn't paying attention, I actually went behind the sheriff's department. So I was a block over from where I needed to be. I was going to cut through to the loop. And so as I'm driving, I thought I might as well stay on this road. Hadn't been on this road in months. It may have been years since I'd been on this particular road. So I just decided to drive down there. I knew there's this big old cemetery and I just wanted to drive down there. As I'm driving down, I get to the edge of the sheriff's department. And I see these nice young men in these striped suits standing outside the, the sheriff's department. And, uh, and it, was, it was bizarre because I didn't see anybody supervising them. Somebody had to have been supervising them. But here's what happens. They're talking and laughing. I'm going, man, they're having a great time. They stop in the middle of their conversation and wave. <laughs> and I'm like, and I thought, this is bizarre. This is strange. Now, here's the reason I tell you that. Those guys could be trusted, so they're let outside to do some work. Our prisoner, Mm-mm. he couldn't be trusted. In fact, his only value was to be a human billboard, to say, if you mess with Rome, we will nail you to a cross to experience an excruciatingly agonizing death so that people will fear us. Now, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they, perf- uh, they perfected it as a, a means of torture. Uh, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like hanging or, or um, a firing squad or, or lethal injection. I'm not saying any of those are good. I'm just saying those are relatively quick, but not a crucifixion. A crucifixion could take two to three days to happen. Let me read what I came across this week. Crucifixion was a form of torture that literally knocked the wind out of a person. The weight of the body suspended by the arms caused 
immediate pain in the chest, paralyzing the pectoral muscles and making breathing extremely difficult. The person being crucified could inhale but had great difficulty exhaling. To exhale, he had to push on his feet, nail through the feet, push on the arms, um, and straighten his legs to release the pressure exerted on his arms and his chest. But the pain that caused this, that, that this caused to his feet was so excruciating because of the nails that he would immediately cease any such effort. Death usually occurred within two to three days, not two to three minutes, not two to three hours, two to three days. But when the Romans were um, on schedule, they would break the legs. So unable to straighten himself with the help of his legs, the man would suffocate rapidly. The soldiers broke the legs of the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus so that they would die of asphyxiation very quickly. They couldn't push themselves up. They did not break the legs of Jesus because Jesus was already dead. Scripture tells us, prophecy tells us, not one of his bones would be broken. It wasn't. Scripture also says no one takes Jesus' life. He gives it up. So he willingly gave up his life. We'll read about that in just a second. Now, our prisoner knew that this day was his last day on earth. This was his death day. And he knew that when he died, more than likely his body was going to be taken off the cross. It'd be dumped on a cart and probably taken to the valley, valley of Gehenna because that's where all the trash was dumped. And there was this perpetual flame that it burned all the time. That's where they burned the trash heap. Nobody would be able to take his body because he was an enemy of Rome. And so this was probably going to be how he went out. Now, on the day of his death, he found out that at least he wasn't going to be the only one crucified. At least there'd be a couple other common criminals to share the stage with him. One of those, what he thought was a common criminal, was Jesus. Now, we're going to read Luke's account of this, but I want you to understand who Luke is and why he was writing it. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Lots of people have written about this. Look what he says. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he says, everybody who's writing about this stuff was an eyewitness or they talked to an eyewitness and they're servants to the word of God, meaning they don't get to make this stuff up if they're going to please God. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Luke is a physician and he says, I've investigated everything. I'm writing it down. Why? I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. We don't know who Theophilus was. He had some type of position. So that you, Theophilus, may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And I would add, so that you, people in Palestine, Texas, in 2018, may know the truth of what you have heard about Jesus. Now, Luke was a physician who wrote down exactly what happened. Here's what happened in Luke 23, beginning in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. This is kind of amazing to me. God, in his providence, put Jesus in the middle, one criminal on the right, one on the left, and I think God did this so that they could have equal access to the Savior. Both of them could watch how he reacted. Both of them could read the sign placed above his head, which said King of the Jews. And they could notice how Jesus reacted not only to the people inflicting pain upon him, but to all of the other folks around. Each could choose his response. One chose to follow Jesus. One chose not to. And I think that's a picture of the world. Jesus is offered to you. You have a choice. Are you going to follow? Are you not? Which thief are you going to be like? Now, it's amazing to me to see that Jesus showed care and concern for others while he was suffering. Remember, even to, even to lift himself up, he had to lift himself up to exhale. I think that also means he had to lift himself up to speak. We suffer a toothache or a headache, and how is our attitude? 
not like Jesus's. In fact, when, when Janie and I, either one of us is grumpy, what we say to the other is, are you in a bad mood? And it's not a question. It's a, you're in a bad mood and everybody knows it. We want to make sure you know it. Now, this is safe words and this doesn't start a fight. So we usually say, uh, in case you didn't know, everybody else knows. And so if she says it to me, I'll go, yes, and then I'll tell her why, or she'll say, yes, tell me why. But, but Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus, um, this makes this story so powerful because he's suspended on a cross, and while he's doing that, while he has to press himself up to speak, to exhale, not only does he speak to one of the thieves who changes his heart and his mind and wants to follow him, he also speaks to his disciple John about his mother Mary. Jesus was the eldest son, and it would have been his responsibility to make sure his mom was taken care of because Joseph was probably dead and gone by now. And so he looks at his disciple John, and he says, Behold, your daughter. And he looks at his mom and says, Behold, your son. So Jesus spoke seven different times from the cross. He spoke to God the Father first. He spoke to this thief second. He spoke to John, his disciple next, and, and later he speaks to his father. So seven times he speaks to folks and he has this incredible care for others. He died like he lived caring for other people. Now I need to jump over to Matthew for just a couple of verses because I want you to see what's going on in the, in the backstory. Matthew tells us that the religious leaders loved the fact that Jesus was being crucified. This was the Super Bowl for them. And, and they weren't, y'all remember that cheer, um, uh, we've got spirit, yes we do. Y'all still do that cheer? That was the dumbest cheer ever when I was, you know, years ago. And so you do this with the people on the opposite side. We've got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? And they go, we got spirit, we, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? Sometime in the deal, somebody start going, we've got the most, we've got, and I'm going, Y'all are dumb. So in the Super Bowl for the religious leaders, it's not we've got spirit, it's we hate Jesus. Yes, we do. We hate Jesus. How about you? And they're talking back and forth. And look what they say. They're proving how much they hate him. And they say, he's, now when you say this, you need to see spit flying out. You need to see fire coming from their eyes because they despise this one who called himself the son of God. He saved others. They said, somebody else says, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Ha <laughs> ha. Let him come down from the cross and then we'll believe. Look at this one. He trusts God. Let God rescue him if God wants him. What kind of person do you have to be to say stuff like that to a man hanging on a cross? Why? Because he, he dared to say, I'm the son of God. See that the religious leaders were making fun of Jesus is no surprise. They were, they were little men with big titles. I understand that. Jesus humiliated them, so, so they're striking out. But what I don't understand is what Matthew tells us next in verse 44. The robbers, so not only were they thieves, these were robbers, so they probably, they probably used some type of weapon in removing people from their money, separating people from their money. These robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now, I don't understand this. I, I think I understand the religious leaders. I think they're pathetic, but at least I understand they were jealous of Jesus and they thought they had beaten him. We, can't beat you. we couldn't beat him intellectually. We couldn't beat him spiritually, but we could beat him physically and watch him die and they thought they won. I don't agree with them, but at least I understand. I do not understand the thieves who are hanging on a cross just like Jesus. I don't understand them joining in the insults unless it's just this crowd mentality and maybe they were trying to take the frustration or, the, or the, they're trying to take the focus off of themselves and put it on someone else. 
Now, back to Luke in, in verse 34. And I think, well, I believe that they heard Jesus say a word that had probably never been spoken from a Roman cross before. Jesus said, Father. When, when you hear accounts of people on death row, the guy about to die, who does he usually call out to? It's not daddy. It's mom. And then what Jesus says next, I'm, I'm going to guarantee it had never been spoken from a Roman cross before. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Never in the history of the world to that point had anybody said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing from a cross. And they divided up his cl clothes by casting lots. So the Romans are gambling for his clothes. His enemies are applauding and, and hurling. We hate Jesus. Yes, we do. His companions on the cross, they're insulting him. His mother's mourning. His friends are in hiding. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. That's amazing. Next it says, the people stood watching. And I think this is an understatement. There were crowds everywhere that Jesus went. Can you imagine there would be crowds here? Janie um, went to Sam Houston State University. My dad, every time I would talk to him when Janie and I were engaged, he said, seen the warden lately? Um, because of Huntsville Prison there. I'm like, no, dad, she's not in prison. Oh, you sure? Uh, <laughs> my kids think I'm lame with my jokes. My dad was so lame with his jokes. But she told me that whenever that someone was going to be put to death, on their death day, people would gather and they would have these candlelight vigils. Crowds would come out and they would gather. Can you imagine the crowds that came for a celebrity like Jesus? Because crowds showed up for any crucifixion. There was just this curiosity. But, to, but when Jesus was crucified, massive crowds would be there. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered. They didn't cheer, they sneered at him. It's not enough that he's dying. Let's, let's add to his agony by insulting him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. See, Jesus publicly humiliated them when they tried to trap him with their questions. Now they get to return the favor. What could the crowds do to them now? Nothing. What could Jesus do? He's stuck on a, on a Roman cross. What could he do? Nothing. What kind of human being hurls insults at a man dying on a cross? Only a hard-hearted, self-absorbed person could possibly do that. Verse 36, the soldiers came up and mocked him and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. This wine vinegar was to dull the pain, to prolong the length of time that he would be on the cross. Jesus refused it. Now I read this week and I had never, had never heard this before. We always think the cross was about three to four feet up. I read that it may have been only six inches off the ground so that you could look, look directly into the eyes of the person being crucified. You could insult them eyeball to eyeball. You could spit in their face. And then look at this, verse 38. It says, there was written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And it was written in several languages so that everybody who came by would see this is the king of the Jews. And the Jews, the religious leaders said, no, 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 no. Don't put king of the Jews. Put he claimed to be king of the Jews. And this is the only time really that Pilate stands up to them and he goes, no, I want to show what happens to anybody who claims to be a king. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, both at first, now just one. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. If you were the Messiah, this scene would be different. If you are the Messiah, I've got a suggestion. Messiah means deliverer. Deliver yourself. Deliver us. How about that? Everyone knows Messiahs don't get nailed to crosses. And I think everyone there had at least a thought, this thought. 
if there's such a thing as a good and personal God, how could he let something like this happen? Anytime there's some type of tragedy, people say, if there's a good God, how come bad stuff is happening? Either God doesn't care or God's not there. That's what people believe. But nobody there said, where is God? They never asked, where is God? Because where was he? Right smack in the middle of them. And so here's a message from the cross. Where's God when life hurts? He is with you. We sing about it at, at Christmas. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. We don't sing about it at Easter. Maybe we should sing that at Easter as well. At some point in this whole scene, our guy stops hurling insults at Jesus and changes his heart. We don't know when, we don't know why, but he has a change of heart. And here's what he says in verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, the other criminal. Do you, don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? He's saying this guy is suffering just like us, but his suffering is different from ours. In the midst of his suffering, he's not insulting others. He's not insulting his God. In fact, he seems to be convinced that his God is right there with him. And because he believes God is near to him, he has not abandoned his faith in his God. <laughs> so here's a huge message. I want you to write this down. H-M-F-T-C. This is the way my mind works. I'm sorry. Huge message from the cross. That's too much to write. So write down H-M-F-T-C. Jesus didn't draw conclusions about God based on the way life and others treated him. You do. Jesus didn't. Big message of Easter. Verse 41. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. For the first time in this life, in his life, this guy is seeing himself clearly and it allows him to see Jesus very clearly and this is one of Jesus' last conversations on earth. It's amazing. I'm going to suffer pain and agony so I can push myself up, so I can even speak these words. Now, you can tell a great deal about a person by the way they die, the last thing they say before they die. I read that Napoleon Bonaparte said this, I am dying before my time and my body is going to return to the earth. This is the fate of the man we called Napoleon the Great. We called Napoleon, you called yourself Napoleon the Great? And I don't know what my last words will be. It may be, uh-oh, as I hit the tree. I don't know what my last words will be, but I can guarantee you my last words will not be, this is the fate of the man we call Douglas the Great. <laughs> That's not happening. I'm just telling you. I read about Voltaire, the French writer. On his deathbed, he's reported to have said to his doctor, I've been abandoned by God and by men. I'll give you half my fortune if you extend my life by six months. Two things, he's praying to the wrong God. And why do you want your, if everybody's abandoned you, God and your friends, why do you want to hang around? Oh, it's because you don't know where you're going after you die. Jesus' last words were very, very different. His words were so tender, so kind, so focused on others that a hardened criminal dying on a cross pushes himself up to have a conversation with him. So here's an HMFTC. If an innocent man suffers like a guilty man and can maintain his faith in God, how much more should a guilty man or woman who is suffering the consequences for their own actions maintain faith in a good God? Watching and listening to Jesus on the cross, this thief says, oh my God. Time out. If you're claiming to God, oh my God, it's not using his name in vain. 
It's not stubbing your toe and saying it. This is, if, if, if you can't praise God by saying, oh my God, stop singing how great thou art. Oh Lord, my God. When you are worshiping him, when you see, when this thief, oh my God, the sign is true. You're not a king, you are the king. It's true. So he pushes himself up. Imagine what's going through his mind, what's going through his body physically for him to say these words to Jesus in verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, you got to picture this. Pushing up on excruciating pain. They said that when, when you have a nail driven through your, your ankles or through your wrists, that it's like crushing your funny bone, only the pain never goes away. Pushing up on that, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're a king. I want to be in your kingdom. Can you make that happen? Would you make that happen? I'm guilty, you're not. I'm angry, I'm bitter, you're not. Since you believe there is a good God, I'm gonna believe too. Since you believe there is a good kingdom, I wanna be a citizen of that kingdom. Would you take me? (laughs) Had the criminal cried out to a Roman king, the Roman king would have laughed at him. People like you don't get to be in my kingdom, he would say. People like you only serve as a warning to others. Don't jack with the Romans. But Jesus is different. He's a different kind of king. In verse 43, he says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, of course you can be in my kingdom. Now what benefit would this be to Jesus to have a guy like that? What's he gonna do? I'll follow you for the next hour and a half of my life. Before they break my legs, Jesus, I'll follow you. There's no benefit to Jesus accepting this guy in his kingdom. But Jesus, without hesitation, says, of course I'll remember you. You're the reason I came. Now, how could Jesus validate the life of someone like this, the life of someone who the world says is worthless? Here's how. Because what is happening to that thief and whatever is happening to you does not reflect how God feels about you. Your worth is not in what's happening to you. In fact, here's an HMFTC God is not your experiences. God is not what is happening to you. What if life has left you broken and not God? What if life is cruel and not God? Verse 44. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So for six hours, Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. At 3 p.m. he dies. He gives up his last. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, he says seven things, so a little over one thing per hour because you see how difficult it would be to speak. It was now noon, uh, came over, darkness came over till three o'clock in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. They hung there in darkness for three hours. Now the Passover is tied to the lunar calendar. It's why it changes every year. It's why Easter changes. It's not on the same weekend every year. It's tied to the lunar calendar and this would have been at full moon. So this was not an eclipse. It was not something, you know, some natural phenomenon. This was a supernatural deal where God allowed the the earth to feel the darkness of sin and brokenness for three hours until Jesus said, it is finished. Into Into your hands I commit my spirit. And that's when the curtain in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. God ripped it in two, signifying that everything that separated humans from God has been dealt with on that cross. 
No matter what you have done, you are no longer separated from the God who created you. All you have to do is come through Jesus Christ. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father. He called out to the one who could have done something about this, but he did not. The one who could work in your life, but sometimes chooses not to because that's not his will. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. And foolish, short-sighted people thought that was the end. But Sunday morning came, and the tomb was empty, and we found out that God was just getting started. So whatever you're going through, the darkness in your life right now, let me tell you, if you're a child of God, God has just gotten started, and you need to wait until he shows up before you take action. Don't, take, don't make major life decisions when you're, in, when you're lonely, hurt, angry, lonely, tired, when you're having massive things going on. Don't make major life decisions until you have heard from God because on Sunday morning when Jesus showed up, it changed everything. Have you ever confused life with God? I think you have. Have you ever drawn conclusions about God based on what is happening or has happened to you? Yeah, I think you have. Jesus' message from the cross is God is not what has happened to you. Jesus' message is God can be trusted in spite of what's happened to you. So a couple of statements, we're done. God is not your life. God sent Jesus to bring you life, to offer you life, and only those who accept his gift get a new life. The message of the cross is that you will find in Jesus what you're not finding in this life. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, joy, peace, love. Jesus offers it. If you don't have it, it's because you, you haven't come to Jesus. He experienced life just like us. He was betrayed. He was hungry. He was angry. He was lonely. He was tired. But he never sinned. And this man who never sinned had an in spite of life confidence in God. So that's another message from the cross. God wants you to have in spite of life confidence. So here it is. Here's, here's our statements. Life happens. God can be trusted. You can be disappointed in life. You do not have to be disappointed in God. It's the message of the empty tomb. Would you bow your heads? Father, would you remind us that we cannot see what you're doing many times. Remind us that what we're experiencing in life does not equal you. You're greater than that. Remind us that the empty tomb says there's always hope. Because you overcame our greatest fears. You overcame death. You overcame sin. You rose from the dead never to die again. Teach us what it means to follow you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.